God help me to speak it. Oh, yeah. You can get that for you, for me. Thanks, Pastor. Yeah. Hello. So, I've got goosebumps a little bit. Because, not really because I'm nervous. I don't really know if I'm nervous or not. But the, the messages for the last couple of weeks have really lined up. I wrote this message a week ago on Saturday. I just felt very burdened. And I thought, Lord, if, if you want me to preach tomorrow, you know, which was a week ago, then you can get whoever's on the roster tomorrow to walk up to me and say, Jamie, I think you're preaching today. But if not, Lord, I'm all cool which didn't happen. Steve preached. Maybe he wasn't receptive to the Holy Spirit. I don't know. (laughs) But the message he spoke was, (laughs) it was on par. He stole some of my points. Okay, so hopefully most of us have our Bibles. Can we please turn to Matthew 11, 22? So this is Jesus talking. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Now, that's the title of my sermon tonight, A Forcefully Advancing Kingdom. So let me start by saying what church is not. Church is not a social club. Yes, church is not a social club. It never has been or it never should have been and it never should be. What should church be? A forcefully advancing kingdom. Thank you for all speaking at once. You know, a a social club, it doesn't have any purpose in itself. You get together, you, you meet some people, you spend some time with them, and then you go. That's the purpose of a social club, is it not? Is that the purpose of church? No. I love you. Church is, it's, it's, a, it's a community. It's a family. It's, it's a kingdom. It's a forcefully advancing kingdom. That has purpose. If it wants to advance, it has to advance somewhere. It needs a purpose, doesn't it? Yeah. Hallelujah. Okay, so it's, it's more than just loving each other. In a social club, you can spend time with each other and get to know each other and, and everything can be all nice and dandy and, and intimate and you can make some great friends and you would consider them your family and all that kind of stuff. But that inner circle of, of love, it, it, it tends to stick to itself in, in a social circle. But that's not the way God designed family. Otherwise, he never would have made humanity, if you really think about it. He had to pour out blessing onto someone else. He just wanted to do it. And we as his bride, as the body of Christ, you know, that's what we got to do too. We are a family blessed by God. You know, you've heard this many times and it does my head in hearing it all the time. To be a blessing. We have to be a blessing to other people, not keep it to ourselves. 
A family suppresses its purpose when it merely helps itself. Now, we'll just go a few previous chapters into Matthew. So chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. It sounds harsh, doesn't it? That sounds pretty harsh. But when we think about it, how many churches are trampled by men? You know, Jesus says in Matthew 24 verse 9, you know, the world has hated me, so it's going to hate you. I mean, you know, that's a given. But he's talking about a church... If, if people are going to hate that church, he's talking about the church as in they're the ones doing things. Now, there's a few different kinds of churches. One is a church that doesn't really do anything or make an impact in its community. There is another church that does. And a church that does, like the early church, you know, an Acts 2 church, and there are still plenty of them today, they're doing things in their community. Now, a church that really lives by the word of God and engages in people outside their walls, you know, the community will either love the church or they will hate the church, but they will never ignore the church. They won't be able to. People couldn't ignore the early church. Um, In Acts 2, it says they enjoyed the favour of all the people and their numbers were added daily to those who were being saved. But, you know, still a persecution broke out. A lot of people got upset with them. It's going to happen. But... Hear me in this, how many churches allow themselves to get trampled by men? How many churches sit back and stay in their social circles and don't really do anything? How many churches do churchy things and churchy programs, but they've forgotten their first love? Church is not a social club. <laughs> That's all I've got to say. We're going to be jumping around in Scripture a lot, but keep, keep your finger on Matthew 5. I'm going to go to Psalm 23, verse 5 now. Now, I could talk about the whole chapter because I think the whole thing relates, but we'd be here all night. So we'll, we'll just read verse 5. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Now, there's a few things in that. The first is, if we are in the enemy's presence, which we are, the Lord provides for us. He gives us everything we need to do what we're supposed to do in the presence of our enemies. Now, my next door neighbor, I would not consider him my enemy, even if he doesn't know Jesus. In fact, our next door neighbors are are Sikhs, I think. They're not my enemy. I think the things they worship are. There's a lot of brokenness and, and bondage and chains in this community holding people back. So many people don't realize that they are enslaved by sin. That is my enemy. That is the church's enemy. Not the people. I want to love them. I want them to join the kingdom. The second thing in verse 5 is 
God anoints us with oil before our cups overflow. Now, a lot of people think that it happens the other way around, that I have to do the stuff and then my cup will overflow and God will bless me. I have to work for blessing. Just like that I was talking about up there. I have to work for blessing. I have to go out and save a whole bunch of souls and then God will bless that. No. God anoints you before your cup overflows. Now, we're going to go to 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. And you know what? Don't even turn there. I'll just say it. I'll just summarize it. It's Samuel is before Jesse and his sons. David's not there. He's tending the sheep. And, you know, he sees all Jesse's sons because he wants to anoint one of them as king. Well, he knows God wants to anoint one of them as king and he doesn't know which one. And all the sons pass by him and he goes, is this all you've got, Jesse? None of these are chosen. And Jesse goes, I've got one more. And Samuel goes, we're not going to sit until he comes. Go and get him. Go into the field and get him right now. We are not sitting down until he gets here. So Jesse goes, okay. So he gets his son, David. And Samuel says, rise. And he pours oil on his head. And from that day on, David is filled with the spirit. God has decided, then on, that's it. He's going to be king. But David did not become king straight away, did he? Where did he go? He went back to his sheep. But we see in the next chapter when he faces off with Goliath, he has a decision to make. He can either act in the anointing or he can step away from fear. Now, did David fear? I don't know, maybe. There's actually nothing wrong with being afraid sometimes. But being anointed with the Spirit does not mean you don't feel fear but it does mean you can choose to overcome it because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. How many times was David anointed? He was only anointed once. That's it. Once. And that was done. That sealed the promise. From then on, King David, that's it. God didn't make up his mind later on. And he wasn't going to put him on trial or something like that and say, oh, well, you've got to do some stuff and if you don't, then you know, you'll lose my anointing. You've you got to work for it back or Samuel's got to come and see you again. God didn't say any of that. He just anointed him once. That's it. Once we get anointed with the Spirit, that's it. That's all we need. Amen? Hallelujah. 2 Timothy 1.7. Let's go there. Oh, I love this verse. We're moving around a lot. Hallelujah. Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 For God did not give us a spirit of timidity but a spirit of power of love and of self discipline And the King James says for God did not give us a spirit of fear but of power of love and of a sound mind So what we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks is how a lot of people get it wrong how we understand it here, but we don't understand it here, when in fact it's the other way around. We understand it here, but we don't understand it here. This right here 
says that God gave us a spirit of power, of love and of a sound mind. Right there. Why? Why does he give us that? Our spirit comes alive because Christ comes to live in us. And if we have a sound mind, why is that? Because we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't matter how many times I read that. It blows my mind. Hallelujah. The problem is, for a lot of us, well, really for all of us, our old minds are still active to some degree. You can just talk to Barry for five minutes and he will say the greatest war is in your mind. It's true. The greatest war is in your mind. This thing is so used to thinking bad stuff, disrespectful stuff, angry stuff, human stuff, sinful stuff. It's been twisted by sin. But if God has given us a spirit of a sound mind, then he has given us the mind of Christ. That means once we allow ourselves to be influenced by that and say, no, okay, that's, that's not how I want to think. This is how I want to think. What's going on in here? I want it to be up here. When we learn to understand Christ, when we continuously conform to his character, we become able to do things like Christ. I'll give you an example. If I have a maths textbook at my side, someone has given it to me, it's mine, Awesome. I have a maths textbook. It can solve all the problems. I can put Einstein to shame. Maybe it's got to be a good book. I've got all that stuff in there. But until I actually open it and read it, I'm not going to understand it. I'm not going to be able to do it. It's the same thing. If I have the mind of Christ and I learn to understand Christ, I learn what it's like to be a child of God. And if I learn what it's like to be a child of God, I begin to act like a child of God. I begin to do things that a child of God should be able to do. Amen? (laughs) Hallelujah. God is good. What does a child of God do? Throw out some. Gospel. Gospel. I love it. This kid's on fire. He should be preaching next week. If you're a child of God, what do you do? You bring freedom. You bring healing. You bring restoration into people's lives. You bring light into the darkness. What don't you bring? You bring signs and wonders. Come on. Jesus said, You know, these signs will accompany those who believe. How many people follow signs on the road? How much more when those signs follow you? Come on. That's incredible. What do you bring if you're a child of God? You will change someone's life just by a conversation. All you need to do is maybe even listen to them and not say anything and just understand and be there for them. That could be all it takes sometimes. Be Jesus to someone. Come on. That's a child of God. I have the mind of Christ. 
Whatever Christ did, I can do. In fact, he said, you'll do greater things. Let's do something crazy. You know, and I, I say all these things and it's, it's nice and inspiring. Woo, kicking goals. But what does that look like? You know, what are the, what are the practicalities of all of this? Because it's all well and good to say, come on, let's do things for God. Let's be a light unto the darkness. But how many people, and I had this problem for years, what does that actually look like? What, what do I do? How do I actually initiate a conversation with someone about Jesus? You know? I think they're legit questions. As ambassadors of Christ, we need to go out of our way to make people feel loved and accepted. You know, how hard, it go to, how, how hard is it to go the extra mile for someone? To really show you care. It could just be looking into their eyes. It could be even if you have to corner your workmate and say, mate, talk to me, what's wrong? When they see you're serious when they see you really want to know and you're not just going to try and solve all their problems but you just want to love them and accept them, that's something else to them. And a lot of people aren't actually used to it because so many people that, you know, don't have Christ, they'll listen to someone and then they might either try and solve all their problems or they'll change a subject or they'll just offer some coping mechanism that, well, is devoid of Christ. Christ is always the answer, in my opinion. I'm an evangelist. I go a little too crazy with it sometimes. I'm not sure if that's possible. but You've got to do something that can't be brushed off. You know? and, and as I was saying, I am an evangelist, okay? That's, that's what I enjoy doing most. I enjoy preaching the gospel. I love talking about Jesus. You know, if someone says to me, oh, Jamie, I'm going through tough times, I'll say, well, I know someone who can help you through those tough times. I mean, Jamie, I lost my job. Well, I will pay you to receive Jesus. No, I, I wouldn't do that probably. I, I don't think so. But, but I, I love talking about Jesus. It, it's my favourite thing to do. So because that's who I am, it can be very confronting to me to understand that loving people is not just all about salvations and getting, you know, soul notches on my belt to present to God and say, look how many people I saved. I mean, I'd love to do that. But that's not what it's all about. It can actually be really difficult to love someone without an agenda, without pushing Jesus into their face sometimes, but it's still got to be Christ-centered and it's got to come to a point somewhere where they accept Jesus. But... Loving people. It's not actually that hard. Uh, we were at a conference a couple of years ago in Adelaide, 2012. There was a guy called uh, Paul Scanlon and he preached this message and, and I, I dug it up the other day actually and I was listening to it and it was titled Acceptance Precedes Change. <clears throat> and I, w- I want to share something with you from Luke chapter 19. Uh, it's in verses 1 to 10. It, it's, it's about the story of Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus was not a good man. 
by any human standards. He was, he was a tax collector. I mean, when Jews classified sinners and all that kind of stuff, they would put sinners on a higher ranking than tax collectors. Tax collectors were the, the, not even worth the dirt that they stood on. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a traitor to his own people. Nobody liked him except for his own fellow tax collectors. And he used to extort people. He, apparently he didn't have much of a conscience. And, you know, Jesus is walking through the town and, and we all know this story. And, and Zacchaeus, because he's a tiny little guy and there's a crowd and he can't see and if he walks into the crowd, someone might mess him up because they don't like him. He, he climbs a tree and Jesus is walking along and he looks up at Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus! Come down from that tree. I must dine at your house tonight. Like, how, how would that look to everyone else? I mean, you know who that guy is, Jesus. You know who you're talking to. His stature is as tall as him. He's not a nice man. And you want to go and eat with him. Are you actually the dude we're waiting for? Or is there another rabbi five minutes down the road and we just mistook you for him? Like, it didn't make sense to all these other people. But you listen to Zacchaeus' response. Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Because Jesus just wanted to dine at his house. He didn't say, Jesus, give your life to me, or, 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 or sorry, Zacchaeus, believe in me. He just said, Zacchaeus, I must dine at your house. And right then, Zacchaeus changes in the blink of an eye. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And I look at some of my workmates, I look at my friends who are caught up in all the things I used to be caught up in. And I don't see them the way everyone else sees them as a bunch of alcoholics and, and druggos. I don't see them like that. I see them as who they could be in Christ. I see them as a son of Abraham. That's what I want them to be. I might be the only gate of heaven they ever get. I have a job. And it can't just be about snatching their souls. I've got to love them and show that I care and be there for them. I've just got to be Jesus to them. I've got to accept them. I can't just accept them and, and leave them the way they are. Okay, Acceptance does precede change. They still got to change. The Spirit's still got to convict. And sometimes you still got to correct and put the hard word on people. Sometimes I'm... You know, but, but you don't go looking for that. I mean, Jesus wasn't afraid of doing it, but he didn't look for it. He wanted to accept people. You look through all the Gospels in the Bible and you'll find so many examples of how Jesus just accepted someone and they changed. Neither do I condemn you, but go now and leave your life of sin. Come on. And this stuff breaks my heart. The way I, the way I see people. It's easy to... Shrug someone off and think, I mean, you don't even consciously think you, you deserve to be there, but, but I mean, sometimes we kind of think, well, you, you got yourself in that situation. Come on, 
Where's the mind of Christ right now? You know, we, we still got to bring we still got to bring all that stuff. As I said, we don't go looking. If we if we're going to correct someone, we don't do it in a condemning manner. You spoke about that this morning. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is we shouldn't be afraid of who God has called us to be. Amen. We should not be afraid of that. We should be very much in our element if we give ourselves over to the mind of Christ. Back to Matthew 5. (sighs) Hallelujah. He's getting something out of this. I didn't hear you. I heard Reuben. (laughs) Hallelujah. Okay. Let's read verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We know that light separates darkness, yeah? It even says that in John. We know that. That's logical. That's what atoms and stuff do, whatever you want to call it. Photons, I don't know. Light separates darkness. That's just the way things work. It's the laws of physics, Reuben. So if I'm a light, and this is confronting to me, if I'm a light and my friends are still walking around in darkness, then I am not a light. I'm a lie. That's scary. It's only common sense if you, you know, if you have a blackout in your house and you light a candle, you don't put it under a bowl, do you? That's only common sense. You want to light up as much as you can so that people can see what they're doing, so that people can walk around... What happens if I put my light under a bowl for too long? It goes out. It loses oxygen. You don't lose your salvation, but you lose passion. You lose common sense. You suppress the mind of Christ and give in to your own. Fear takes over. You become your own worst enemy. You become your own prison. I become stagnant in my walk. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, you don't have to go there. It just says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. You know, I mean, how often do we read the Word? I mean, going back to that textbook analogy, I wasn't going to use this, but if you really want to think about it, that's your textbook. That's your textbook for life. It helps you understand God. It helps you understand the leading of the Spirit, and all these kinds of things. Do not, put out the Spirit, do not put out the Spirit's fire. How often do you read the Word? How often do you pray? How often do you pray in tongues? How often do you worship God when you are not at church? How often do you commune with God? How often do you do the stuff that God has called us to do? All those kinds of things. Now, again, we don't work 
to overflow our cup. We are already anointed. But these things help us to understand that anointing so that we can better do the stuff. Hallelujah. If I don't do the stuff and I just learn about it all, I actually make my heart become resistant to it. I don't know if I wrote it in here. No, I didn't. Uh, there's, uh, there's a little passage in the book of James. I, I can't remember which chapter, but it, it talks about don't merely listen to the word, do what it says. You know, no, no one looks into a mirror and then walks away and forgets what they looked, look like. That's silly. Reuben does. But if I, if I get a wonderful revelation of God, but I don't apply it in my life, this hasn't become renewed at all. My mind will not be renewed. It will not conform to the image of, crea- of its creator. It will set itself against it. I become stagnant in my walk. The more I learn, but the less I do. That's when church becomes a social club. And in church, you know, we do need to make each other feel accepted and be sociable. Very important. It's good to make other people feel at home. But that's not the end game in itself. That's not what it's all about. Something I've had to learn over the years is, <laughs> and it takes some practice. I've, God has taught me to learn to feel comfortable when I am uncomfortable and to feel uncomfortable when I'm comfortable. If I am not doing anything, if I am not stepping out in faith somehow, even a little bit, I will begin to get itchy feet. I will begin to get ants in my pants, figuratively speaking. And if I am stepping out in faith, then I feel like I'm in my element because I know I'm doing something that God wants me to do. I remember the first time, I mean, I mean, when God was teaching me to prophesy over people, I remember the first time he told me to walk up to someone and prophesy over them. He pointed the person out to me and he said, I want you to prophesy them. And I stood there and I was like, cool. What's the word? And he goes, no, go up and tell them first. Go up and tell them that you're going to prophesy over them. I was like, but you haven't given me the word. And he goes, I know. Go and talk to them. Hey, I'm Jamie. I have a word for the Lord from you. What is it? And then it comes just a little bit. And then I say that little bit and he gives me a little bit more and it keeps going because I stepped out in faith and I was really uncomfortable and that made me so comfortable. Amen. God does things like that to me all the time. Where are you going? How dare you? Now, that's great. That was in like a worship atmosphere. What about people on the streets? Jamie, go and prophesy over that person. I don't know who they are. I don't know if they know you or not. That's great. Go and do it. Oh, okay. I mean, it doesn't have to be prophecy. It could be anything. It could just be sitting with someone. As I said, it could just be listening to them. It could be, hey, I see you raking your leaves. Can I help you rake your leaves? Because you look old and crippled. No, I wouldn't say that, but 
could be anything. Step out of your comfort zone. It's the best thing for you. Otherwise, you become stagnant. It's not good to become stagnant. God has commissioned a harvest for you. You cannot reap a harvest if you sit there and go, I've got all the tools, I'm all set. And you don't do anything. You've got to do it. You've got to do the stuff. The most practical thing I've ever found in showing God's love for people and preaching the gospel, because I love doing that, and making disciples, I love doing that too, is to be receptive to the Holy Spirit. I used to try and do things myself and gosh, that was scary. That was very scary. But I found that, okay, God, I know you live in me. What are you trying to say? And we've been talking about this a little bit at youth this term, but I really want to talk about this now. Uh, John chapter 10, 27 says, My sheep listen to me. They know my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's what Jesus said. If, I'm, if, if Jesus is the good shepherd and I am his sheep, then I should know his voice. Do I? Do I know his voice? How often does God speak to us? John chapter 5, chapter 8 and chapter 14 tells us that Jesus says and does nothing unless the Father tells him to do so. That's pretty profound, I think. Now, that's not really something we should over-spiritualise. Like you don't stand there you know, and you reach into the fridge and you grab uh, an apple and a pear or something and you go, which one should I have, God? Mmm, I thought that too. You know, that's, that's a little overdone. You know, you can still think for yourself. But always be aware, maybe God's trying to say something to you. Maybe you're in a conversation with someone or someone's over there and you just get this thought, go and talk to that person. Could that be God speaking to you? We pray all the time. I pray all the time. I pray every day. God is much smarter than me. Amen. And hallelujah for that. If I can talk, he can talk too. If I can talk a lot nonstop, which I sometimes do, then he can talk to me too. If we're to have a relationship, it's not just going to be me talking all the time. That's a weird marriage. Unfortunately, not too uncommon. (laughs) Jokes. God speaks to me too. He speaks every day to every one of us. If we are a child of God, he speaks to you every single day. And we all need to be aware of that. Hallelujah. Ever since I started listening to God and being aware of his presence, I've noticed such a difference in how God uses me, speech marks, to impact people. Such a difference. It's like everywhere I go now. I've got a word for someone. You look beyond what someone's saying. No, there's something wrong here. Come on, talk to me. Everywhere you go now, you just be a light unto the darkness. Isn't that incredible? 
Oh, well, it's easy for you to go up and talk to people, Jamie. You have such a big mouth. That's been said to me before and I don't disagree. (laughs) But uh, let me share with you the Moses example in Exodus 3. He used that excuse too. He didn't use my name. I've never met the man. But he said, Lord, I stutter. I can't talk. I don't know what to do. What was God's response? That's like a paraphrase, yes. Aha. Uh-huh. Who made man's mouth? It was me. I'm sending you. Go. I made man's mouth. Stop doubting yourself. How many awesome things did God use Moses for? A stuttering man. And gosh, he spoke to people. I mean, I know Aaron spoke to people for him, but fire out. Moses said some things too. Humility really brings confidence when it's a godly humility. We need to understand that. If you develop the mind of Christ, you develop a godly humility. You develop a godly confidence, not pride. Sometimes a godly humility can really look like pride, but it's not. You just become confident because you know who you are. And the less of me means there is more of Christ. And that's what I really want. And the more I conform to the image of Christ, I say this all the time, the more I become the unique Jamie that God called me to be. But I don't know what to say. Like, I mean... There's someone over there and God tells you to go and talk to them. And you, But God, okay, I can talk. I do have a big mouth, but I don't know what to say. Hamish, I love you too. But I don't know what to say, God. Don't worry about what to say or how to say it. It will be my spirit speaking through you. We hear that in the Bible too. I've tried this. I can't beat God in an argument. It doesn't matter how hard I try or what I come up with, I cannot beat God in an argument. If I produce all my inadequacies to God, He shows me all of Christ's adequacies in me and I don't have an argument. And it's frustrating, but I don't argue anymore because I know I'm going to lose. He always shows me Christ's adequacies in me, Christ's humility and confidence in me, the knowing what to say. That is Christ in me. That is the Holy Spirit at work. It is not Jamie King. Jamie King is very good at failing, but Christ in me is not. He is a conqueror. He brings victory. Come on, he brings freedom. He brings light unto the darkness, not Jamie King. Christ in me. Come on, may there be less of me. May the Holy Spirit grip our hearts. You know, it's actually very easy to hear God's voice. He said it this morning. We overcomplicate things. How often does our brain go, no? It is so easy to hear God's voice. It's so easy. It's amazing. Mark chapter 10, 14 to 16. You can turn there or don't turn there. It's up to you. I'm just going to read it out anyway. And this is Jesus again talking. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. 
For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he blessed them. You know what? Kids don't ask questions. They believe what you tell them. Sometimes they say, why? But we adults tend to say, what? No. Jamie, go and pray for that person. What? No. Come on. Just do it. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. Stop asking questions. Trust that God knows more than you. Took me a long time to come to that. God knows more than me. Thank Jesus. Do we want the kingdom of God to be displayed in our lives? Do we? Yes? Hallelujah. Do we want to be lights unto the darkness? Do we want to be a light that is not hidden under a bowl? Do we want to have the mind of Christ? Do we want to understand and do? We have to lose this petty fear of man and have a reverent fear for God. Amen? I care more about what God wants me to do than what someone's opinion of me might be. You know what? And This is in an article that I read out uh, at the youth meeting the other night. A lot of atheists respect a Christian so much more if they really believe what they're talking about. They actually honour that. And that surprised me. Do you really know what you're talking about? Do you really know who you are? If God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline, then we have a choice. We can either snuff out that light or we can shine brightly. We can operate in the power and the authority that is Christ in us. We can love people with a godly love. If we have that spirit, we need to understand that we do. Let's move out of this little box that we have and move out into the things God has called for us. Let's not be afraid of who God has called us to be. Amen. Let's stop second-guessing God's voice and just trust Him. Can we stand, please? I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, I want you to listen to God's voice. And I want you to go and pray for someone else. Whoever God puts in your mind, don't ask questions. Just go and pray with them. Okay? And whatever God puts in your mind to pray for, just pray for it. Don't ask questions. You know what? We're in a safe environment. If you get it wrong, exactly. No one's going to say, oh, you've got it wrong. I don't trust you or you're an idiot or something like that. We don't do that here. We're a family, amen? We love each other and we accept each other and we care about each other. 
Let's pray for each other. And if God doesn't give you a picture of what to pray for, don't panic. If God doesn't give you a person in your mind, don't panic. Just go and join someone else and pray with them and have them pray for you. And, I mean, if you want to come out the front, I'll pray for you. Whatever that's for. Cool. Be cool. Let's pray. And then you guys pray for each other. Father, we revere you and we honour you. Jesus, we know you live in us. We know you are shaping us and everything that comes our way. We know that you use it for our good. We love you, Lord. We're sorry, Father, for snuffing out that light that you want to shine through us. We're sorry, Lord, for suppressing your voice or doubting you or doubting ourselves or having some sort of false humility to say, no, I could never do that. I'm just going to be back here and I'm just happy serving. Serving is fantastic. It is scriptural. But if God wants you to do something, don't use it as a cop out. Holy Spirit, grip our hearts. We're sorry, Lord, for shutting you out. We give ourselves to you, Lord, that you may speak to us and minister through us, Lord, and reach other people. We want to be a light unto the darkness, not a light under a bowl. We want to be a city on a hill, Father, that reaches out into the distance. We want the darkness to separate itself from you. Wherever we walk, whatever we touch, we want the love of Jesus to be displayed. There are people in our lives, there are people on our hearts that you have burdened us with. Let us not be afraid of their opinion. Let us not be afraid of falling short of the mark. Let us not be thinking of our reputation in the eyes of man. Who are the, you that you fear man? The sons of men who are but grass that you forget the Lord your maker. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, grip our hearts. Father, let us not complicate your, what you deposit into us. Let us not, you know, when we hear your voice, let us not lose it in the complexity of our own minds. Let us stop questioning you. Let us be balanced with Scripture and with the Holy Spirit. Burden us, God, with your love and your, your grace and your mercy for other people. Let us be a gate of heaven. Let us be zealous to bring your acceptance into people's lives. Let us see people as sons and daughters of Abraham. That you would desire that everyone comes to the knowledge of you. That everyone should hear the name of Jesus and bow and confess that you are Lord. Let your kingdom forcefully advance. Let us, your foot soldiers, walk forward in victory with Christ as our banner. Go before us, Lord. Move in our hearts and our minds. 
Let our minds conform to the image of its creator, Christ, so that we may go and do good works in which you have prepared in advance for us to do. Give us a revelation of yourself, Lord God, that we may understand. You want us to go and pray for the sick? Let's go and pray for the sick. Let us understand that that's our birthright. That when we lay hands on people, they'll get healed. That demons can be cast out. That a word from you through us can bring freedom, can break chains in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Father, have your way in our hearts. Holy Spirit. Father, I pray right now that everyone in this room, you would put into their minds who they should go and pray for and let them just go and pray right now, Lord God. Even if they don't know what they need to pray for, let's just stop asking questions and let's just go out on a limb for you because a faith step is the most solid step. It's more solid than than me physically walking. Let us honour you right now, Lord God. Let us practice your presence in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. I pray this upon every person right now. Thank you, Father. Just go as you feel led. If God's put someone on your mind, just go and pray for them. Don't ask any questions. Just do it. If God hasn't put anyone on your mind, just wait there or just go and join a group. If someone doesn't come to you, just just join someone else and pray for them, all right? Let's just all pray for each other. Let's just be family to one another right now. Okay? Okay?